It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. This is the Bengals Day After Edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Broering. As we recap the Bengals' playoff win over the Las Vegas Raiders, Rick was on the road covering basketball. I was busy covering the game last night till about 3 in the morning, not to make excuses. So that's why we're doing this podcast today. So hopefully you will find this entertaining um, and uh, informative as well, even though it's probably a day late. But we're good with that. And you know what? It's free to you. So what, what, what does it cost you? It costs you nothing to listen. So hopefully you enjoy it. Rick, uh, how was the road trip, by the way? You went uh, to Ro- uh, Youngstown State and Robert Morris, correct? Yeah, Thursday it was great. NKU w- wins on basically I, I, a buzzer I, beater and I listened to the end of, I, I listened to the end of the game it was a good call by you and Jim Kelch oh thank you yeah and then uh you know Saturday a little bit rougher you have to miss the Bengals playoff game and only to lose to a team that was winless in the horizon league and Robert Morris so yes, Saturday didn't go so well for me I'll admit yeah I didn't I, that was not good for sure so but we got Bengals playoff win to talk about 31 years is gone 31 years is no more all of the jokes that I've made over the years that if you were, I, I did these jokes a long time ago, Rick. I did these jokes like 16 years in where, hey, if you were born on this date, you now can get your driver's license. They haven't won a playoff game. And hey, you've now gotten to drinking age and the Bengals haven't won a playoff game. And hey, you're now probably getting married and the Bengals haven't won a playoff game. And hey, you can now pay off your 30-year mortgage and already have and the Bengals haven't won a playoff game. All them jokes are gone. It's back to zero. We've started yes. over. I mean, it's it's kind of a surreal feeling, honestly, after the game went zero and you realize you start thinking about the second round and next week's playoff game and the next right. playoff opponent. And I go, I've never been in this situation yet in my life. But it's just a very weird feeling. I mean, to put it in perspective, the Bengals have been in business for 50 plus years. I'm going to I'm going to give a trivia question. I think you'll get the answer to this. I don't know if you'll get it fully. Do you know how many? You might have read this already because I actually wrote it, but other people have written it probably too. Do you know how many Bengals quarterbacks have won a playoff game in team history now? Three. Three. Boomer Siason, Ken Anderson, and one Joseph Lee Burrow. Yeah. I mean, okay. But you know, I mean, I it's, it, it, it's, I mean, it's just, it's crazy to think in those perspective, in those terms to tell you what Joe Burrow and this group has just done, right? It, it really is. The best word I can use is surreal. I mean, it really just didn't set in. And then I got home at like 2.30 in the morning. I was doing some Xavier writing to recap their game from Sunday at noon. And I just turned the game back on and started watching it and <laughs> live tweeting it like I was watching it for the first time. I mean, it was like, I don't, I didn't know what else to do with myself. I just had to see it again and be a little more locked in the second time around. And I'll be honest, I was still getting mad when the Raiders scored that touchdown right before the end of the first half, even though I knew it was going to happen afterward. I know I, I, that's uh, that's all well and good. Uh, it was uh, see, I, and I, I, it's interesting you use the word surreal. For me, it it felt it just felt like it was time. It felt like this team was in the right place, right time, right talent, right everything. And it was for me. And it was funny. I didn't even realize this. Paul Daner Jr. from the Athletic, Alex Marvez, who I believe is with Fox Sports now. I've known Alex from back when he covered the Bengals for Dayton Daily News, um, and I all did the the uh, Bengals roundtable with Jeff Hobson individually. He just interviews us for about two minutes, thoughts on the game. He writes it up, and that's that. And I didn't realize so I sat down next to Paul. He said, do you realize that we all three picked the same score, 27-17? So I think that's where the confidence level for me was, for Paul, and for obviously a guy from the outside, a national guy, Alex Marvez. So it didn't feel surreal to me because I, I, I kind of expected it. But I understand your point. I mean, in your lifetime, you've never experienced it, so I get that. But it honestly didn't feel surreal to me because I think they're the better team. And yeah, they had to hang on by the skin of their teeth and all those things. 
but they were the better team and they should have won and they did. Well, and that's true. And that's kind of what made it feel so weird because going in, it's what we expected to happen. We knew they were the better team and we thought they would handle them. And then they did. The other shoe never dropped. I think that was the part for me that was weird. It's like, as a Bengals fan, you go in thinking you're the better team, thinking everything good is going to happen for you. But you know, at the end of the day, there's going to be something crazy. The Vontez perfect moment that happens that ruins your day. And that moment just never came. It's like, no, you get to be excited about this even after the game is over. And you then start thinking about what you're going to do for next week's game. And that's just, it's a cool feeling. I, I hadn't gotten to experience it yet. Let's get into the game like this. Sure. Yep. Because this wasn't a, a game where like one thing really stood out or there wasn't necessarily that one play. We can talk about the interception late that sealed it, but there was never really that turning point moment or that one standout player, in my opinion. If you had to give out an MVP award, who would you give it to? Uh, I give it to Joe Burrow. I, I just thought he made every big throw and he and he was never he was never out of sync, never out of rhythm, never off his game. Made some, dropped some dimes. I mean, the touchdown pass to Uzama, the pass down the seam to Uzama, the pass jumping out of bounds to Boyd. I mean, he was never off his game. I, I, I'm not, and you may have somebody different. I just, I have nobody else in mind other than him. I, I gave him um, on my fifth quarter analysis. Clearly, the offensive game ball, defensive game ball went to Jermaine Pratt, not just because of the interception that was big. He had a good game otherwise, but that obviously sealed the win. But yeah, I don't think there's anybody other than Joe Burrow, in my opinion. If you got somebody different, go for it. But I've got nobody different. I think Joe Burrow is the right answer. I probably have an honorable mention answer that is a little more outside the box because I think some people would look at the the box score and what happened late and think the offensive line didn't play well. To me, they played great. Yeah, exactly. I was so impressed with the way that they held up, especially on the left side of that line. You you had two really dynamic pass rushers coming at you and Early in that game, and some of it I think was play calling. Like I loved the crackback blocks early on Crosby, where they were just crushing him from the slot position and bringing something else just to make him think. Like, what if you know? Maybe I can't right. fully no, right. blow past you because someone might come to try to blindside me this this play. So I loved that. I thought they did some scheming that threw him off a little bit early, just enough for the Bengals to get control of the game. And I thought Jonah Williams, Quentin Spain, and Trey Hopkins were fantastic. They were excellent. Obviously, Prince had his issues. He was being asked to do a whole lot over there by himself. I mean, it was going to be a really difficult matchup for him, and he let up some pressures late in the game. But overall, I thought the offensive line was really good and to me, that was the only way the Raiders were going to win the game is if the offensive line didn't hold up. Yeah, and and honestly, even the Max Crosby sack is defensive tackle Quentin Jefferson had one um, that wasn't as memorable as Crosby's. Crosby's came in the third quarter on a third and long, and he kind of blew through at the last second and just buried Burrow. Um, but but even that came on a third and long. I thought the big part to me was a the offensive line held up. B I thought Zach called a really good game as far as getting the ball out of Joe's hands quickly. Joe did a good job of that. But even when Joe had to hold it a few times. The offensive line held up pretty good, and that's where I know that you can look at like that 51 sacks and go, oh, my Lord. And you can look at this game and go, oh, my Lord, he got sacked twice. Other than the couple of sacks, Rick, I, I don't remember, and I'd have to go back and look, so shame on me for this. I don't remember how many times that Joe Burrow even got hit, let alone hurried. It was almost like, and some of it, again, was scheme of bing, bing, bang, ball out. You can't get to me in time, and that's great. That's fine. But... Some of it was those guys did a great job in pass protection all day. Well, and it's incredible because I remember specifically myself bringing up the topic maybe midway through the season of 
are we concerned at all about Joe's ability to maneuver within the pocket and, and slide it and, and step up into it and all those things when he's getting some pressure on the edge? And he's gotten so good at that. It just yep. in the last half of the season, I mean, again, maybe I was a little out over my skis even bringing it up at the time. He probably wasn't bad at it then, but there were just some things where it's like, oh, it doesn't seem like he has great feel when it comes to moving around within the pocket. And he is unbelievable at it now. There were multiple times late in the game where there might have been a pressure. There could have been some pressure, but Joe just easily moved the pocket a little bit, bought himself an extra half a second to a second that he needed with a clean pocket and delivered an on-target throw. He's so special in terms of how he sees the game and feels it. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And um, I, I, you know, listen, I, it's easy to go, oh, we're all homers and we think this guy hangs the moon. And you know me, I don't think that of anybody, but I just can't be more impressed with a quarterback and a player. He just, he's got it. I, and this comes from a guy who thought Andy Dalton got shafted and thought Andy Dalton was good. And I thought Andy Dalton, I, I still think Andy Dalton is good. This guy's on a different plateau, man. He just is. I know I'm not telling people something they don't know, but it's just it's 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 interesting to watch him operate, despite the fact he doesn't have this big hose and he doesn't have this. He's got swagger, but it's it's a weird swagger, right? It's not Aaron Rodgers swagger. It's not Tom Brady swagger. It's just a different weird swagger he's got. Um, he 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 checks every every box known to mankind, and um, for him, I think he it was so funny in the post game. He was so chill. He really was um, that. <laughs> I, I thought, you know what? He thinks that this is just step one, and he ain't done until he gets all the way to the final steps. And maybe he gets there. Maybe he does. It's crazy to think that, but I think that's what he thinks of. Yeah, I'm, and it was it was funny. It was, uh, are you excited? Yeah, I'm excited. It's just step one. You know, he talks. It's just the craziest yeah. thing ever. Um, but he's got it, man. He and and as much as I talk about, he doesn't have a hose. You know, he threw that dart to Uzama for the touchdown. That touchdown right? as was I a bullet, man. The the one over Divine Diablo, the linebacker down the middle to to um to to CJ was unbelievable. You can't, you can't throw a ball any better than that you a you have to recognize and that actually was talked about with Zach today in his press conference that we had on Zoom uh, of that play and that throw. Um, a it, he talked about that was kind of a different coverage they ran. Joe read the coverage the right way, and then you know it's great he did all those things. He did all the stuff of okay, I read that they've got this coverage. They're gonna have the linebacker trailing my tight end, and then you drop a dime over his helmet. Seriously. That pass was so perfect. It's, it's unbelievable. There's no other real words to describe it other than that's as perfectly as you can throw a ball in the game. It was on target, the perfect amount of velocity and touch. And like you said, just how did he even see that or, or recognize it to this is a good idea to pass this ball right here. Right. I mean, that's he's right. just such a unique player with his confidence, but combining that with an incredible IQ for the game. And that's just it's a different feeling. Like you said, there's, there's a lot of guys and even watching them in the playoffs when you're seeing a guy like Derek Carr or the week before when, when Derek Carr was battling out with Herbert, with Herbert. Herbert. Yeah. You see these guys and they're really good. I mean, these are talented guys. I think Derek Carr's underrated. He's impressed me. Justin Herbert has all the physical tools. You're watching some of these guys. You're like, Burrow's better than them, man. He's just got something else to him in terms of how he processes all of this that they don't quite seem to have. They have even Josh Allen at times. I think Josh Allen is the most impressive quarterback He's we have physically, seen physically. Yeah, physically gifted he can on, do on top of sub-physically gifted, yes. Anything. And I'm not saying like the guy doesn't know how to play or anything. No, right, But it right, just right. seems like watching those two even, Burrow is just a little bit more composed and has a little bit better feel for all of this stuff. And I'm not saying I would take 
you know, Joe Burrow over Josh Allen, or he's definitely better. Anything. That's a, that's a, uh, I don't know. Well, I don't know. Well, I'm just saying that's a debate for another day. I don't sure. feel like getting into all that. No, it, right. It's not right. worth arguing right now. They're both incredible, incredible quarterbacks that could easily win a Super Bowl with the right team around them. But just watching all these other good quarterbacks in the league, it's like, I've never had this feeling where it's like, I wouldn't trade my quarterback for any of them. Yeah, I, you know, Carson comes to mind a little bit, right? I mean, he had such physical gifts, spinning the football and all those things. And, you know, growing up watching Kenny Anderson and and uh, and and just his accuracy and uh, Boomer had a hose for an arm and all those things. But this guy combines all of it. He combines yeah. accuracy, uh, cerebral um, leadership. Uh, and I know guys that play with Ken Anderson, and Boomer Sison have talked about their leadership and it was there, yeah. but this guy's on a, on a weird different plateau level with that stuff. It's just, it, it's, it's incredible. Um, I, I, again, I, 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 I wish I could go, Hey, you guys are all crazy for loving the guy the way you do, but I, I can't. And I, I don't want to, because he is that good. He's just insanely good. And he's that easy to like too. That's yes, the other correct. thing. Like everyone correct. nationally, loves him and has nothing bad to say about him either. And that's really rare for a popular athlete in the social media era. No. And, and I, I talked about this um, uh, on a radio interview on Friday. I, I, I did like six radio interviews over the weekend. Um, and I um, did TV on, on, on Friday on our station on channel 12. And, and I said, he's just that guy that, that he galvanizes everybody. He galvanizes whites and blacks and, um, you know, veterans and rookies and guys who've been here forever, guys who've not been here. He galvanizes all those guys for whatever reason in a weird, probably goofy way because he looks he's kind of a goof, right? He's yeah. kind of a nerdy goof who's got a nerdy goof cool to him that a guy like Joe Mixon, who's a little rough around the edges, can love. And a guy from New Orleans and Trey Hendrickson can love. And a local guy in Sam Hubbard can love. And the kicker can love. And the special teams coordinator can love. And the defensive coordinator can love. And the offensive coordinator loves. And the head It's weird, but it's a weird, cool thing to, 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 to see. Well, it, that, that's exactly it, too, Skinny. He's himself. He's genuine. He's authentic. He's not trying to be someone else. You know, he's not trying to play this role of of being a cool guy or or being someone who has a swagger or an edge to him. He is just genuinely who he is and confident in himself. And he doesn't need to try hard to be cool, which is how it usually works. But I mean, you're right about that. It's the type of thing that you don't need to hear other players say it in a press conference. You know, that stuff is meaningless to me. You can see this. You can see what the way the guys interact, the way the guys play for them. Yeah, sure. Some of the things they say about them in press conferences is nice, but the social media posts, the pictures they're posting together, all those types of things, (laughs) as silly as it sounds, you can just tell guys gravitate towards him and think he's cool. Dude, dude, the goofy dance with the cigar in his mouth in the locker room after Kansas City, right? You go, you're a clown, dude. You're a goof. What are you being a goof for? And everybody loved it. Shooting air pistols and <laughs> dancing like a click. He dances like an old white guy like me, right? And yet everybody's like, cool. He's cool. That dude's cool. Yeah, just, uh, just a different cat. Uh, moving this forward in terms of the game. I thought getting off to such a good start and being in control yeah. was important. And it worked really well for probably how Zach Taylor was going to feel most comfortable managing the game and everything like that. It didn't put him in a bad spot late where he had to really make decisions about how aggressive he was going to get, or if he was going to put Joe in some interesting spots or anything like that. But it made me incredibly uncomfortable and nervous late in the game. I, I, I get it. You know, I, I, I do not like hanging on to like that 10 point or seven point lead as it turned into, I mean, it just, 
it, it feels good, especially with a quarterback like Joe Burrow to kind of be in that, oh, we're six points down. Okay, here we come, and we're going to come and overtake the game. It's well, nerve-wracking as hell to be in front. Joe, Joe even said that in the post game. It was almost like, yeah, go ahead and score so I can get the ball back. Give, give it to me. <laughs> um, and I think he would have relished that opportunity, obviously, at 26-26. Or if Basachi had gone for two and might have made it, he would have relished that opportunity. But, um, yeah, I, I, I thought the biggest thing of the game was, you know, the Raiders go down and kick the field goal and good for the defense to hold them to a field goal when the Raiders look like they were in a great rhythm opening drive. And then the Bengals on their first drive, just right down the field, take the lead and actually take the lead for good. It's funny to say that. If you look back, they took the lead for good at that point at seven to three. Um, and and then, you know, the second half in the, in the red zone were problematic. And I'll give Zach credit. He's he's pretty honest with this stuff sometimes of he thought he didn't have a very good rhythm in the red zone. And sometimes you don't, you know, I had some people tweeting at me on a couple of plays where they'd run it for six yards on first down and have a second and four and run it again, which I'm fine with that. And it didn't work. And that's not a Zach Taylor issue that it didn't work. It just didn't work. Um, and, and suddenly then you're in third and three and you don't convert and you know, well, uh, they blew it with the second down run. No, they didn't. The second down run didn't work. Doesn't mean it was a bad call. They just didn't, it just didn't work for goodness sakes. So, um, you know, I, I, I thought, you know, I thought the decision to kick the field goal and I had people clapping at me on that when it made it 26, 16 was the right decision. You got to go up two scores yeah. there, right? Yeah. You I thought to. that was, I mean, I guess I get the idea of if you get that first down, the game is almost over at that point. Well, I mean, you can really put it on you, ice, but you, yeah, well, you can chop two more minutes off the clock and potentially score a touchdown. I get that, right? But it's but, still, but the way your defense two scores, was playing, two, two scores. scores, right? That's exactly right, right? I mean, that that puts them in such a desperation spot. If they only need to score a touchdown, which is a very reasonable possibility, they can very much tie that game up with one touchdown and, and then take it into overtime, and then. Who knows what's going to happen? So, yeah, I had a couple people text me because, again, I wasn't watching the game play-by-play necessarily. We, right, we had right, it up right. on press row there as we were doing our pregame show. I had some people text me and said, oh, you're going to be livid about Zach Taylor's play calling in right, some of those that, late red zone opportunities. I wasn't really. Going back I wasn't to either. the game, I thought there were a couple that you'd like to have back. They just, you know, the execution wasn't there or the Raiders made a good read or whatever. I got the sense that maybe the Raiders were showing them some different looks than they were expecting. Yes. yes. And part of that was from Zach's comments where he said, I didn't get into a rhythm and didn't feel good about it. And it's like, well, it makes sense. The Raiders were terrible in the red zone all year. If they just decided, Hey, we're going to completely switch up what we're doing here. It's probably not the worst idea for a team that couldn't stop anybody down by the end zone all year. Yeah, no, I, I, I get that. And like I said, you know, a, a second and four running play in the red zone on a toss sweep. And the toss sweep was really good to them. That and a couple of the Jamar Chase jet sweeps were really good. Part of it is Crosby and Ngakwe want to get up the field. So you want to get them running up the field inside, go outside of them and use your speed to get outside. I liked them. And they and they just didn't work for whatever reason. It wasn't blocked right. Um, Raiders played it right. Raiders guessed right. Whatever it was. And I, I, I don't fault that. And yeah, you can argue, oh, a second and four running play. That's what screwed them. Dude, second four is a great rundown. I'm fine with the rundown. It didn't work. Okay, you can you can you can argue the execution. You can't argue the decision. The decision wasn't a bad decision. Sometimes things don't work. Sometimes things don't get executed. That's the nature of sports, man. And and there's time and situation and all those things right. to consider. That's like, right. I am Mister. Put the ball in Joe Burrow's hand and let him win you games. I've been banging that drum for sure. two months straight now. Every show yep. we do. I didn't think that was this type of situation. I think they called a good game. They put themselves in the right position. And yeah, there was one here or there in the red zone where you're like, uh, 
okay, that, that one didn't work out. And, and maybe those were just bad calls. I, I can give you that. But like, it wasn't a, a philosophical thing where I thought he really cowered and, and made a soft decision or, or played scared or anything like that. I thought they did exactly what I would have recommended and what I think was was the right thing to do. The, the only other thing that stood out about the offensive performance was how worth it it was to draft Evan McPherson this year. I yes, mean, we've been talking yes. about him all year, but no. in the biggest game of the season, once again, he shows up and gives you 14 of 26 points, and you don't even have to to think about it when you opt to kick those field goals. It's not even a concern that they're going to go in or not. And, Rick, the funny part to all of that is, and this is this is the funny part to it, um, and, and Paul Daner Jr. and I were talking about this because he sits next to me in the press box. You know, Evan McPherson banks to a 28-yarder. You go, okay, yeah, great 28-yarder. You know who missed a couple of big field goals in a playoff game from 28 and 33 yards out? Shane Graham. Remember that? Right. I mean, 28 and 33, and they were big field goals that could have been huge for the Bengals on that day. And so you can go, ah, it was just a chip shot, and that was just a chip shot. That's fine. You're right. They are chip shots. Well, Shane Graham was a pretty good kicker for this team for the most part, and he missed two big field goals, and this guy didn't. And that's what matters. He made four of four. They weren't hard kicks. They weren't long kicks. They weren't into some stiff wind. But he made them, and that's all that matters. That's what ma- that's what matters. Whatever the Joe Burrow feeling is that you have for quarterbacks, take that to the kicker level. That's how I feel about Evan McPherson. It's like right. I have supreme confidence. The dude's going to make everything that w- is within reason that you ask him to make, or at least give you the best chance. So you, you feel better about him than any other kicker that you could possibly run out there. And again, that's been something that for Bengals fans haven't been able to say a whole lot in the the last few years. So. Uh, that was that was definitely a good feeling. You, you brought up the C.J. Uzama touchdown, the first one where it was a bullet pass from Burrow. I wanted to ask you about that one real quick. Were you surprised at all that that wasn't ruled a drop? Um, no. Um, I, I I thought he had it when he landed, and you could see the clear on the replay. Um, you can argue the hole to the ground, and I thought he controlled it right till he got to the ground, and, and that's a good question because because it. It looked that way, but it also looked like you had it long enough to the ground to call that a touchdown. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, I think that is a catch, but with the weird wording of the NFL rules and some of the things we've seen over the years, the way he kind of came down and the ball went spilling out, I was a little surprised that there wasn't more of a conversation about whether or not that touchdown would stand. And then, of course, on the second touchdown, you have the situation where Burrow's scrambling right to the sideline. You get an inadvertent whistle right before Tyler Boyd catches the ball. They review it. They ultimately rule it was a touchdown. All the rules experts are saying it can't be a touchdown by rule. If you blow an inadvertent whistle during a play, it's a do-over. What was your takeaway on that play? Yeah, I, I was going to bring that up if you hadn't brought it up. So so here, here's the thing. All right. So the by rule, when a, when an invert whistle is blown, at the point it's blown, it is a dead ball. Period. End of story. It can be an inch from a receiver. It can be literally the ball. the The ball is frozen in time, and so by rule, the the funny part was they 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 went back the officials and said that the whistle was blown after the catch, which I think you'll agree is bullcrap, correct? We'll agree with that. Totally untrue. And listen, Bengals fans, I know you're going to get mad at me for this take. I'm just going to give you the the take by the rule. So as long as we can agree with that, and and you will agree with that part, correct? As you just said. It's 100%. It was right before he caught it. It was in the air. He had already released the ball Burrow had, but it had not been caught yet. And, And I will give Bengals fans the point of, 
It was going to be a touchdown anyway. Correct. Nobody was going to come close to it. And I get all of those it things. It did not impact the play. I agree with that. That, 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 that is correct. And I'm going to give everybody that part. But by the rule, the inadvertent whistle rule is the ball is dead at the point of the whistle. And when did the whistle blow, Rick, in your opinion? And really, not even opinion, really. Yeah, when it was the whistle it's very blow? clear. I mean, everyone can see if you watch the replay that it blows, you know, microseconds before Tyler Boyd catches the ball while the ball's in flight. And so in that regard, the, the officials completely blew it and they blew it badly. No pun intended because they blew the whistle badly. Um, the official thought that Burrow was going to be out of bounds, which also, again, goes back to what a spectacular play Joe Burrow <laughs> made. Right. I mean, it was that was silly to, to be jumping out of bounds at the last second and decide, oh, wait a minute, you're in the back of the end zone. I'll sling it there. Um, and throws a dart to, to Tyler Boyd in the back of the end zone. That that part of the play is absurd, but by the rule, and I've had so many people snap back at me on Twitter for different things on that play. I get it as a Bengal fan. You don't want to hear it, but the bottom line is, by rule, they screwed up. It was pretty simple. They screwed it up, and that's all that I can say about it. I thought the Bengals got some help in this game. I thought they got the benefit of the doubt at times in this game. Like the, the Uzama touchdown, the fact that that wasn't even really questioned at the time. I thought, oh, wow. Like, I was nice. too. It, you know, I will say this. I will say, you know, from, from the viewpoint of that, I was a little surprised that the extra point was kicked as fast as it was. I'm like, yeah. And like, uh, they didn't bring it up at all. At right. Least I no, think right. It was brought up right. on the broadcast right. or anything. No, that, yeah, so. I, I don't know about that part of it, but, but yeah, I mean, bottom line was I was a little surprised that, oh, okay. So they give you that. Okay, fine. And then my thing on the Boyd touchdown was if you are a Raiders fan, complain about that 100%. If I was, if that happened in reverse and I was a Bengals fan, I would be saying, look, that by rule, you can't can't have a touchdown there. I don't, I'm not okay with that. And I'm complaining about if you are literally any other human being, maybe a, maybe someone who bet on the Raiders, I will include you as a Raiders fan as well. But because if you bet on someone, you pretty much become a fan of them for that. That's that's right. That's fair. But aside from those people, anyone else in the world, like talking heads that are on ESPN or whoever else, if you're talking about this play or bothered by the fact that the touchdown can counted, you're an idiot. Like, just I I don't know about that. I I don't know about that, though, Rick. Again, if you want to go by the letter of the rule. No, I agree with the rule is what it is. It should have been wiped off. But all logic, all logic that we can look at says. They had no impact on the play. That's, it shouldn't have mattered. It would that have been one of those things where just the stupid wording of a rule and yes, a technicality yes. screwed over the Bengals had it been called appropriately. So while no, I, I agree with if that I'm part. a Raiders fan, I'm 100% going to bitch and complain. If I'm anyone else in the world, I'm going to look at that logically and say, it's a good thing that the ref screwed that up. No, no. And I, I'll give you that part of it. Yes. But again, if we're going to go by rules and rules are there for a reason, don't bail yourselves out. Just say, you know what? We screwed up. We blew the whistle. We're sorry. I, I will agree with you. That is incredibly soft by them to try to act like the whistle was blown yes. after the catch. Yes. Now, if and they said the at the time that like, hey, we thought it was blown after the right. catch. So that's how we ruled it. Fine. But once you see the replay, it is very obvious. And, and I will say an inadvertent whistle is not reviewable. So if you're wondering, well, then why didn't, you know, because every touchdown is technically reviewed, right? Why didn't they change it upon review? That is not reviewable. Um, so that, that was the cop out and lo and behold, Jerome Bar- Jerome Bo- Bogar's crew is not going to officiate the rest of the, the postseason. And it wasn't just that call. They had a couple of other moments where you're like, dude, just get on with the play. Will you please? Yeah. I, I did not think that was a very good officiating. It was crew. not. It was not. 
Uh, and I like Jerome Bogart, Bogart. But the problem is they, they put all these melded crews together where you're trying to get the best line judge and the best side judge and the, yeah. the best back judge and the best umpire. And they haven't worked together before. So, hence, they just are doing their own thing. And I think that's what that that's kind of the uh, – hopefully moving forward, they just go, you know what? Your crew's really good and your crew's really good and your crew's really good. Let's take your crew and go, go do the playoff game. Hopefully, that's what comes out of this moving forward. I had two other – points about the Bengals getting a little bit of help. You might have a couple others, but I thought that decision to field the kick at the two and run out of bounds instead of what taking one more step show. and field the ball out of bounds for an illegal My procedure word. penalty was an incredible mistake right in that moment. I mean, because that because could completely re- change the game. You realize if he had just taken a foot and stepped out of bounds with his foot, that would have been ruled out of bounds. Do you know that? I'm, I'm and he gets the ball did. at the 40. That's uh, yeah. I mean, can you imagine the differential of that? Instead, he puts his team with the ball on the two, and they, and they almost got a safety. And yeah. they almost got a safety. They almost got a safety out of it. But, for but at sakes. that point, if you're in that position on your own two yard line, you're just trying to avoid the safety. You're not trying to put together yes. a drive in most no. circumstances unless you get Agreed. lucky and something happens. But like you are just trying to get out of the shadow of your end zone and punt it back without a disaster. And then hopefully you hold them to a field goal or something because you're screwed on field position at that point. If you have the ball at the 40, you're almost guaranteed a field goal at that point. You need right. to move the chains like one time and then you've got, a, you, you're set up for a field goal. So that was such a huge swing at that moment, that early in the game when the Bengals were starting to build some momentum that I was like, what an absolute gift right there. And then the other one was right before Vegas's second field goal, Deshaun Jackson dropping that pass on the red. Zone. Yes. Yes. Well, I mean, that's, now, maybe, you know, the Bengals hold them after that. They did a pretty good job in the red zone in this game. That, they did in fact, a great job. Raiders yes. were one for five in the red yeah. zone and 0 for two in goal to go situation. So it's very possible they would have held them after that, but you have no idea. And they get a first down right inside what that would have been about like seven yard line or something. Yes, correct. Yes, yes, correct. I mean, that was a another huge gift, I thought, at the time that well, kind of helped the Bengals get control. And can I get you two, two other plays if you want to keep counting plays? Um, the, the punch out of Jesse Bates on, on Hunter Renfro by the sideline on the pass where, where oh, Bates yeah. admitted he got beat. I even asked Jesse today about that play um, of how important, you know, making hustle plays are this time of year because, uh, you know, the teams are so even, you, you know, it's every little thing counts, right? And then the Mike Hilton where he ran down Josh Jacobs on the 35-yard run. And it was funny. Jesse said, yeah, that was great. But Mike should have punched it out. And we talked to Mike today. I'm like, holy cow, dude, the guy hustled his ass off to go make a tackle. I get it. I think it's kind of funny. And he, he was laughing about it because, you know, it's hard not to. Mike Hilton's a completely likable guy. And it's a, you talk about a guy who's been a great pickup, man. Sticks his nose in the run game. He made a couple of plays where he deflected a pass here or there. Had a tackle for a while. He just, he's all over the place. I'm a big Mike Hilton fan. And I thought that play, I'm like, I'm trying to tee up here about, hey, you made a hustle play and he made a hustle play. He's like, yeah, you know, I I, I got kind of lucky in making this play. and But, you know, we kidded Mike today about Mike got out out leveraged and why did he not punch the ball out? I'm like, dude, he ran 30 yards down the field to tackle him for what would have been a touchdown, for goodness sakes, Chief. Yeah. But, okay, that's fine. You do you. I get it. You know, you want to hold yourself to a standard? I'm fine with the standard. Uh, in fact, I'm, I'm really good with the standard. That's the standard of Mike should have punched it out. Well, then. Mike should have punched it out, but I thought those two plays were huge plays in the game. Those were huge. I I put those more in the category of like hustle plays that the Bengals really did something. Those ones I mentioned were situations where they really got gifted. Right, that's right. right. It was the Raiders kind of screwing up or the refs helping them out. But while we're on the subject of the defense, I thought there were two guys that really stood out to me and just gave me positive vibes going forward for this team. One was the guy that we've, 
been talking about all year. Where is he? Where is he? He wants this big contract. What's he going to do to earn it? Jesse Bates showed up in this game. Great. He was great. Three passes defensed. Um, you know, the play I talked about where he punched the ball out from Renfro, that would have been a big first down instead of forced the Raiders to punt. Yeah, he laid somebody zone. out. Yeah, he laid somebody out down by the goal line. I mean, he absolutely, I can't remember who that was. It might have been Zay Jones, but he, yeah. no, it was 89. It was the Edwards kid. He laid him out. I mean, just popped in. I'll give the Edwards kid credit. He popped up like nothing happened, but yes, he laid him out. But he had three passes defense. And again, stats sometimes you're like, oh, it doesn't, you know, stats are stats. I asked Louis Anarumo today about, did you think that was Jesse's best game of the season? And he kind of hemmed and hawed. And at the end of the day, he's like, yeah, I kind of, I guess it was. You're right. Yeah, it probably was. Yeah. I mean, well, and two of the three passes defense were huge breakups. Huge. I mean, it was the one That's you right. talked about to Renfro and then the one in the end zone. Those were massive, massive plays in the game. Yeah, no, that, and that, that's the other part. I mean, the, the one in the end zone was, you know, a couple of plays before Jermaine Pratt came up with the interception. Jesse Bates doesn't break that up. Jermaine Pratt doesn't get a chance to the interception. So, no, I thought he was great. And, um, you know, maybe uh, for him, and I can't remember who asked the question of him, of Jesse today when we talked to him, um, of him saying, you know, the playoffs for me are kind of a clean slate. And he's done this a couple times, right? Remember the whole bye week narrative of yeah i'm worried about my contract and i'm trying to get a clean slate and this feels like a clean slate remember then he wasn't very good and maybe for him it's now hey i've gotten through the regular season now i'm playing with gravy now i'm trying to play for a little bit of a contract and now i can i can kind of rest easy and i, I rest easy is not the right word but but you know um play with a free mind and play hard and and play physical and do the things that i can do he was great you're right he was absolutely fabulous yeah, it was, it was the first time this year to me that he looked like the playmaker that we saw last year that showed up every other game almost, it seemed like. you know, I mean, right. he was so consistent with it last year in terms of doing stuff like that where he's either making a big hit or breaking up a pass or knocking a ball out of receiver's hands after it looks like they're going to have a big play. I mean, it, it, that was awesome. That was the exact Jesse Bates that you want to give a big contract right. to. Right. We just didn't see it for most of the year. Here's the other thought that I had while watching that game. I thought Jermaine Pratt was great. Not yes. just the, the late game interception, but throughout the game, he was good in coverage. He had an, another breakup or two that was really good. Um, he was good against the run. And I just sat there and started thinking, it's like, we've been talking about Logan Wilson all year too. And obviously there's been some injuries here on this linebacking core, but you really only need two linebackers for the most part at this right. point in NFL. We might have those guys. Like I thought yes. linebacker was a weakness for this team, but those two dudes at this point, I feel pretty damn comfortable with those two going forward. Yeah, no, and, and even Marcus Bailey is your third guy. Or, yeah, I, you know, true. I, you know, Akeem Davis Gaither was doing some good things in pass coverage when he was healthy. So you, you're right. Um, uh, you know, if, if you're looking into this next offseason, I'm not sure you need to address linebacker unless you're looking to add a depth piece, and that's fine. That guy can be a fifth round guy, sixth round guy. There's plenty. I mean, Marcus Bailey was a seventh round guy coming off knee injury, and that was a great find for them. Um, so yeah, when you start to address this off season, you, you need a center. I, I, I hate it for Trey Hopkins, but you need a center. Um, you need a right tackle, whoever that is going to be. You probably need another depth piece there. You certainly need cornerback. You can never have enough cornerbacks. Um, so you need that, but you know, when you start looking at linebacker, that's kind of now we're in the depth piece portion of it. And you know, these two guys are going into their third year, actually all three guys, him and Davis Gaither and, and Bailey are going to their third year of the rookie contract. Now, Brat's going into a last year of a rookie contract, but that's still good. And I think you're right. I think you have two linebackers you can trust and believe in. You know, I I would I would have loved to have watched Logan Wilson 
play the full season healthy. He's not playing healthy now, in my opinion. He said he was close to 100% this week, and I'll believe him. Um, you know, the game he came back against Kansas City, I don't think he was anywhere near 100%. I think the whole Pratt COVID thing, and I asked the question of him of, you know, did you come back for that reason? And he said, no, I was ready to come back, and I'm not sure I believe it, but that's okay. You know, you answer my question, you're good. Um, but but I, I think he came back early because he felt like, hey, we're thin, and I, I'm not letting us not go to the playoffs. I like the kid a ton. I think he's a really smart kid. Um, uh, you know, he's not the greatest quote in the world, but he's a he's a he's a decent kid. He's a good kid, it seems like, and he loves football and he he loves winning and he loves being a part of that. Um, and and for a while this year, he was a real playmaker. Is he a Ray Lewis playmaker? No, but is he a NFL middle linebacker playmaker that can do a lot of good things? Absolutely. And so I think you're right. I think both those guys are really good. Yeah, I just when we started the year, I felt that there were multiple holes on the defense before this yeah. is going to be a quote Fair unquote enough. good defense. I thought linebacker lacked at least one playmaker, even if we felt Logan Wilson was going to be that guy. I thought cornerback would be a much bigger problem area than it's been, even though clearly I, they could still be a top trust me, guy. When when I watched training camp, I didn't. I get your thought process before the year, but when I watched training camp, I went, oh, nope. these are they got some dudes now. I didn't know Ugie from from Adam. I didn't really know Mike Hilton from Adam, but when I watched those dudes in camp, I went, oh my gosh, they got some dudes now. To your credit, you did say that right away. You you were shooting me down on that one, but still, I mean, it, look, we, we watched last year's team. We yes. know how they finished yeah. the year, so it's not like these concerns were unfounded. No, and you're right. Even looking at the, the pass rush up front, I mean, it's like, Defensive tackle, where are we at there? And then in terms of the actual pass rush on the edge, okay, you bring in Trey Hendrickson, but people had questions about him. Yep. I was actually pretty excited about that. But even after him, it's like, okay, Sam Hubbard's pretty good against the run, but is he really a, a dynamic pass rusher? And look, if you can find a real game wrecker at defensive end here in the next couple of years, or it just works out that way, or you see a guy free agency you can get, I'm not against adding that type of piece. But we're to the point now with this defense where if you just give me one addition at cornerback in the offseason. I think this defense is good enough. Like, I think this defense, seeing Jermaine Pratt play that way in a playoff game is different from him seeing, seeing him make some random plays against the Browns in week no, right. nine yeah. or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, that's right. No, that's it's right. Just different when you see it in a playoff game like that. And you go, man, they have two guys that I feel pretty darn comfortable with and feel like they can rely on and be a solid to maybe even really good defense. I, I agree. And that's, you know, that, that's been a big, big, big fine for them. And I think some of it is a, a philosophy change and, and, you know, Marvin Lewis and Terrell Austin, uh, especially Marvin, they wanted that big 255 pound middle linebacker who was a run stopper. Well, guess what? That dude ain't around the league anymore, man. It's just not. And, and I think you guys had a weird philosophy in that regard of yep. we need to stop the run with this guy. And it, it, that's what the division is about. I get that's what the division is about. But you know what? That guy doesn't exist any longer. We're not lining up in the I formation anymore. We're not lining up to run power football anymore. It's just not the game. So you better be able to run and pass cover and tackle in the run game. And Logan Wilson and Jermaine Pratt. And and the funny part is Pratt was drafted because of his, his pass coverage skills. And that's the thing that's still evolving for him. He's not great at that yet. And so if he's still starting and making plays and then obviously making a play in a pass game, you know, on Saturday night, then great. It feels like the upside is still there for him. There was a big negative coming out of this game. And that was all the injuries that happened, particularly yep. on the defensive side. You had 
Larry Ogunjobi go down. Trey Hendrickson went down. Mike Daniels and Mike Hilton got banged up. The biggest loss, obviously, right now is Trey Hendrickson. Ogunjobi isn't too far behind, I think, because you clearly saw when those guys left the game, the defense was not the same, and the Raiders were able to do a whole lot more in terms of having time to throw the ball, but also even running the ball. I thought they were just they were much more carefree in how they were attacking the Bengals after the Bengals lost two big pieces from their defensive line. Skinny, what's the latest on those? Where do you think we're at? Yeah, and, and to your point, I think some of that was, unfortunately, you were down to five linemen, and they were gassed. I mean, Sam Hubbard, dude, ben, I, 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 did, I didn't notice it enough because I was riding through this, and I didn't have my binoculars on it. It wouldn't shock me if that poor guy didn't puke about three or four times on the field. I'm serious about that. I mean, he was gassed. And and they couldn't sub him out because they didn't have anybody else to sub him out. They were down to five linemen, man. And and so, um, you know, there was no rotation to be had. But yeah, to your to your question, it sounds like Larry Ogunjobi is day to day with a foot injury. I had somebody tweet at me. I didn't see it on the TV thing, but said that he mouthed my foot is broken, and the trainer said yes, I agree. Um, but I didn't see that. And today's question of him. Was you know where's Larry Stan? Was it's day to day? That's that's better than I thought. Trey Hendrickson is in concussion protocol. Um, they will start on Tuesday to see if he can get out of protocol. And it's so it's a it's a it's called a protocol for a reason. You have to you know pass your baseline test. Then you have to go do some physical activity, and then you have to pass a full padded practice, and then they can get you back into the game. I'm going to guess the way Zach phrased it today that he is back and I don't want to give Bengals fans hope, but it sounded like it was trending in that direction. Uh, And Mike Daniels is done. Uh, He's got a groin injury. I I shouldn't say done. He's done for this week. Um, And, and, uh, you know, the, the, maybe the good part is it sounded optimistic about Josh Tupo coming back, but if not, um, you know, a question was asked of, of Zach today. Do you have to maybe look at going and getting a defensive tackle off the street or defensive lineman off the street? And he said all, all options are on the table. So uh, but I, I'm going to guess in the next 24 hours to 40 hours, tomorrow is technically the NFL Tuesday for them if they play Saturday, which it looks like they probably will against Tennessee. Um, tomorrow is their NFL Tuesday, which is a mandatory day off. I'm going to guess they'll evaluate those guys tomorrow. And then before Wednesday, or before Tuesday's practice, which is technically then the Wednesday, they will make a decision on getting a guy or where do we stand with getting these guys back healthy. And Mike Hilton, what was the latest on him? Did they have an update? Yeah, yeah, he was fine. It's not like he was fine. He came back and played, and um, there was no, uh, there was nothing designated about him. So I think Mike's fine. A question was asked about him, but yeah, it sounded like he was fine. It was like almost like shrugged off. Hate to be in this situation after a big win and heading into the yeah. second round of the playoffs. Yeah, no, right. Obviously, right. it came at a cost, no, right. but at the same time, you're here at least. You know, I mean. Right. What, what are you going to do? And, and it sounds like there's a possibility that Trey Hendrickson is going to be back. And I feel like if you get him back, at least Mike Hill yes. is okay. Uh, it's not ideal to not have Larry Ogunjobi, but well, you can it, live with that. Right. If you, if you got Ogunjobi or, and, or, or Tupo back, if you give me one of those two, I'm okay with that. BJ Hill's been great. I mean, that was, you talk about a great trade and I wrote a piece this week about what they've done the last three off seasons to make this team great. Um, and, and I was a big Duke Tobin detractor for some of the drafts uh, from 13 through, you know, whatever it was, 18. And maybe I got to go back and point the finger at Marvin because you never know who's at fault for all of that. It could have been all of them. It could have been Marvin. It could have been Duke Tobin. But the bottom line is 
the last few drafts and the last few off seasons, they've got it right. And I mean, they traded Billy freaking Price for BJ Hill. How good has BJ Hill been? Seriously, BJ Hill yeah. has been really solid for this team. Yeah. And even He's after those guys went out, it was great that he was on the field still. He had that huge right. sack. Right. No, that's right. He's been fabulous. So, um, you know, kudos to the to the to the front office for that. And I'm the first detractor, as you as I mentioned last week, I was mad at somebody in the front office that listens to the podcast and <laughs> uh, reads what I write. And that I feel flattered, I guess. I should feel flattered, but um the bottom line is hey, you guys got it right. You got it right with the head coach at this stage of the game. You got it right with your offseason stuff. And kudos to you guys, man. You deserve it. And good, good, good for all of that stuff. Yeah, they really do deserve so much credit. I thought Zach did a really good job of handling that in the post game. And yeah, I think so much credit I, yes, to Mike yes. Brown for, for sticking with him. And he even said, look, if I was at probably any other organization, I wouldn't be here. Still. He's right. He's right. And, and he's absolutely you know, right. I think we were all at that point last year where we were saying, I don't know if you should be firing this guy, but I'm not sure that I want him to waste another year of Joe Burrow. I asked Mike Brown at the at the media luncheon that we have in July, is there a win total you have for this team and for Zach Taylor? And all he said was, no, but we have to win games, right? And so I thought, ooh, that's, that's damning without being damning because I was trying to put him on the spot, and I get that he didn't want to answer He's got to win at least eight games or nine games. And my question in theory is a little silly because you're not going to give me the number answer, but I wanted to just see where it went. And when he said, I don't know what the number is, but we've got to win, I thought, ooh, we got to win means you got to win more than you lose probably. And then he gets you to the playoffs. And so kudos to them for and, – and listen, this was not a Mike Brown hire, right? right. This, was a, this was a Duke Tobin hire more than anything else. And so Mike could have easily pulled the plug and go, hey, I don't even know who this kid is. And he's 625 and one. And after two years, you're going to ask me to stick with him one more time. I'm too old for this crap. No, 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 no. I'm going to do my own thing. And he stuck with him. He trusted everybody in the organization. And look where it's gone. It panned out perfectly. There's very little reason to believe. And maybe it was just pure apathy on the Bengals part. And they just didn't want to make a change. And that's why they stuck with him. But regardless, they stuck with him and they acted like they believed in him and they proved to be right. I mean, Zach Taylor is going to be one of the hottest names in yes. all of coaching now going forward. And he deserves it. I mean, what he's done with this team and what his staff has been able to put together. And obviously Joe Burrow is a massive, massive no part of it. Go ask Bill no Belichick question. how important right. having a great no, quarterback is to all of No this. question. That's, but, I mean, Rick, that's, that's perfectly said. Exactly. But he's still done all the other stuff because we've seen talented quarterbacks that are ruined by an incompetent coaching staff that can't get out of their way and can't put the proper pieces in place around him. And they've done a good job of getting the right guys in place to have a stable environment for Joe Burrow to grow in. And it is just taken off here like crazy in the second half of this season. It's been fun to watch. And, and like you said, they deserve the kudos for it because they did it when everyone else said they were wrong and idiots and whatever else. They were the ones who stuck with them and had the right guys in place, apparently. And Rick, I'll, I'll be the first to tell you, I'm happy I'm wrong. He's a likable guy. He is. I enjoy I enjoy conversations with him on Zoom. I think he does get it. I think he knows how to coach. Um, you know, I joked about his whole resume at UC, and it was right, and his early, early unsuccess, and it was right. But the thing that always has stuck with me throughout this whole process is, other than Carlos Dunlap and a couple of disgruntled veterans in that stupid SI.com story that Elise Jesse wrote, which was a clown show story, 
They've all believed. They've all believed. And when you keep hearing that through all the, you know, the the bad stuff that's going on, you go, if they all believe, other than some disgruntled veterans, man, and I can go to this. I, I, we talked about this last year. I can go to any disgruntled venture you want when the locker room's open and go, what do you think you're coach? And they can just give me an off-the-record stuff, and I'll run with it. I mean, they've all believed. I mean, that story now in retrospect is completely embarrassing, completely embarrassing. Because guess what? They got rid of the Deadwood. They just said, you know what? You're a veteran who can't play. You're a veteran who can't play. You're a veteran who can't play. See ya. I'm going to deal with you. I mean, he smiled and just kind of grinned and bared through the whole A.J. Green embarrassment of 20-whatever-the-hell year that was, where he came back off the injury and then decided to make the business decision of, I'm not going to play. You got you serious? I'm not going to play. And he never said boo about, hey, this guy should play. This guy should do this. He just said, he's week to week. He's week to week. And if you look back and you're like, that's him MFing him in a weird way of, I'm just telling you guys, he's healthy enough to play. He don't want to play. And but he didn't do it with rolling him under the bus. And you look back and you go, that was smart, dude. That was a good way to do this. And so, yeah, got rid of the Deadwood and he's got their guys. And I think I said this before the year, Hey, Luana Rumo, you got your guys. And Zach Taylor, you got your guys. There's no excuse anymore. I don't need you to maybe be a playoff team. You need to, you know, be better. Then not only were they better, they become a playoff team. So kudos to those guys for all of that a playoff team that is in the second round and has now yeah. won a playoff game, ending yeah. the Bo Jackson curse, breaking the 31-year <laughs> drought. Uh, it's pretty crazy times here in Cincinnati. It is. It is. It really and truly is. And, um, you know, that whole post-game thing of him going to that bar and Mount Lookout and giving out a game ball. That was actually crazy. pretty cool. I thought that, that was, was a really pretty cool, cool move by him. I, I did too. And, you know, I'm not big on hokey. And I don't think it was hokey. I think that was he said he said it was he said he, he he thought about that three years ago, thought about it a lot when he would drive by that place every day, going to work, coming from work, of how he wanted to handle that. You know, that's pretty cool. That was I, I can't imagine many head coaches would go to a bar after a game, let alone a playoff game, and go, "Hey, here's a game ball. Everybody have a good time." And the place went great. I I thought it was it was one of the coolest scenes I've seen in a long time. It was understated. He didn't bring a film right. crew with him. It and, was, and he admitted it was perfectly that. He's, done. And it was funny. He's like, then I realized there was a bunch of cell phones in there. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Somebody's going to film this, but okay. Yeah. I mean, exactly. But it, I was just, yeah, it was a really cool way to celebrate and show your appreciation to the fan base and all yep. that. And like, I mean, look, <laughs> I know that you're appreciative of your fan base whenever you're in a, a position like that at right. the same time. You also know there's got to be a little part of him inside that's thinking all you guys wanted me fired. Yeah. And look at me, you know, yeah. look at me now type deal. So for him to be so gracious in winning was and he's just handled it really well. I thought his comments after the game were great. I thought that move to take the game balls out to fans were great. Just I couldn't be more in on Zach Taylor right now after all the things no. we've said about him over the last two no, years. I I I'm with you. I I I'm I'm a I'm a big fan of of how he's handled all of this stuff. So kudos to him, man. All right, that's all I got. That's all I got too, bro. Uh, it looks like the Bengals will go play Tennessee. We're doing this as the Chiefs are up 42-14. to 14. Feel pretty safe about that, correct? Yeah, I think it's going to be Tennessee 
Bengals fans in Nashville where oh, uh, word. this city has had some issues recently with sporting yeah, events. So let's yeah, try to uh, change yeah, those. Well, yeah, yeah, let's change vibes. the narrative of, <laughs> yeah. of, of an NC. This is not basketball. It's a different sport, Rick. Right. So let, let, let's right. change that whole narrative. So anyway, uh, we'll talk about that game. We'll preview that game on our weekly podcast on uh, Wednesday or Thursday when we get to it. But it looks like that's where the Bengals are headed. So appreciate you guys listening. Uh, I know we're a day late with this, but uh, but we covered a lot of ground. For Rick Boring, I'm Richard Skinner. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the Bengals Playoff Edition, presented by Ryan Kiefer of Prime Lenders.